Good morning, good afternoon, good evening, or good night, depending on where you're listening from. My name is Casey Long. My co-host today is Wyatt Sutherland, and we are part of this wonderful company that we're starting up called Coalescence Publishing. Now, what that is, is it's this company that we built with the image of basically giving every writer the tools they need to succeed. We believe that if given the proper support system, everyone can be a writer or a successful author if they put their mind to it. Anyone can. And we started this company up to not only help educate new authors, existing authors, but we want to support the literature world because it's given us so much. You know, in our darkest times, we read stories and it gives us this escape to go and just find this new world where the problems of our society does not exist. And on this podcast, we're going to be talking a little bit about well, I say a little bit, we're actually going to go pretty deep into conversations about everything to do with literature. We're going to be hosting authors here. We're going to talk about genres, what the difference is between fiction and nonfiction, certain tropes that we're seeing in modern writing, etc., etc. Why, why don't you go ahead and introduce yourself, and we'll get this show on the road. Hello, uh, my name is Wyatt Sutherland. Um, I am a full-time writer for Coalescence Publishing, uh, and today we are going to be talking um, about genre, and we're, this is going to be the first episode in uh, a three-part series, or uh, more, depending on how our discussions go. Um where we talk about everything to do with genre, what it is, our favorite genres, um, and how we as writers plan on innovating on uh, old genres, maybe even uh, trying our hand at creating new genres. Um, but we're obviously talking non-scholarly here. Um, this is just kind of our opinions. Um, if you disagree, feel free to uh, voice those disagreements in the comments below. Um, and, uh, to get right on into it today, we are going to be talking about what is genre, um, to us specifically, uh, but also maybe, uh, voicing some of your own thoughts as well. Thanks for that, Wyatt. So when we talk about genre, before we go into this big, long discussion about it, what is it? How do we define genre? I think before we start talking, we need to know what it is. Right. So um, Merriam-Webster defines genre as a category of artistic, musical, or literary composition characterized by a particular style, form, or content. Um, basically what that means is that, uh, it's any kind of art, any expression of art that shares similarities with 
how others have expressed themselves. So a genre of music could be um, romantic music or a genre of um, literature could be is fantasy, a genre of uh, movies and so on and so forth. If they share similarities, then they're likely um, in the same genre. Um, but what is genre really? Uh, I think is a good question to ask. And that kind of um, gets us to ask, what do we use genre for? And what does it mean for writers? Um, but also, what does it mean for readers? Because those two things don't, those two groups don't necessarily experience genre um, in the same way. So, um do you have any thoughts on that? Of course. I mean, the first thing that comes to my mind when we talk about genre is why does it exist? Why do we classify things? Because because that's what genre is. You are taking something and you are classifying it. So we have to figure out why do we do that? And the first thing that comes to my mind is distinguishment. You know, let's say I'm a I'm a reader and I like horror me well i am a reader and i do like horror um but i like certain types of horror i like lovecraftian horror cosmic horror you know um sci-fi horror but i don't really like romantic horror i know i know (laughs) sorry if that offends anyone um you can like whatever you like but going back to the question, distinguishment is the first thing that comes to my mind. That is probably one of the number one things that genre is there for. Right. Yeah, it, it definitely it helps us distinguish between um, tropes. It helps us establish uh, communities, which we'll talk about in a minute. Um, and uh, for sure. Yeah, it allows us to kind of categorize certain things and that can have positive and negative um, repercussions to how we view art. And it has in the modern age been affected greatly by um, the kind of modern market and the way our economy works um, has changed the way that we view art and genre. Um, But honestly, genre in and of itself is a natural development. Um, in times even in times past there has there has been genre distinguishments uh and even ancient civilizations ancient societies recognize the difference between uh one genre and the next and they recognize the way that it allowed different authors to communicate different ideas um through different motifs and tropes and readers um recognize the way that it allowed them to engage with different media. Um, One good example of the way that uh, genre tropes have allowed readers uh, or have, has kind of defined reader experiences is through tropes and genre conventions. For instance, like if you are a member of the fantasy literature loving community, you likely know what an elf is. <laughs> um, it can look and sound and feel 
many different ways, but there's only so many ways you can skin a cat. You, you know, um, there's only so many way elves that you can imagine. Um, and they all just kind of, you get that feeling of an elf or a dragon. Uh, I'm going to interject here real quick, Wyatt. So when, when, when you say elf, that's such a foreign term to me, you know, I, I don't really, <laughs> are, are we talking like Dobby from Harry Potter or like, Kelthos from World of Warcraft. All of them, all of it. It's all oh. elves, and it's all and 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 that is something that only readers in a certain community can say because you've had so much experience and so much time with a certain genre, namely fantasy, in this cir- circumstance. Um, that that you can look at you can look at things that look, sound, and and seem completely different and and see an elf or a dragon, you know, like you, you look at game of Thrones, how dragons look in that. And then you look at how to train your dragon, (laughs) but it's all dragons. And you kind of know that. And, and, um, writers can take advantage of this, uh, in a lot of different ways by, um, leaning on these conventions, uh, finding the ways that uh, the things that they like about a certain convention, but also, and, but not having to stick to that as much. And we'll probably talk about that um, in a moment, but readers can take advantage of genre distinctions like that um, to form community. And that's an important thing about art is that it's expression of emotion and it's expression of, it's a, it's escapism and all art is deeply personal in a lot of ways for both the writers and the readers. Can I ask you a quick question about that statement? What's that? So when you say all art is personal, um, deviate a little bit off the railroads here. Let's say you have a, um, an artist up in New York who's, wanting to take advantage of the uh, banana art thing. You, do you know what I'm referencing? Uh, I do not. I'm sorry. This, this person got a banana and duct taped it to a canvas. I I think it was a canvas. I'll have to go back and double check, but it it was a banana with duct tape over it. And it sold for this insane amount of money. Mm-hmm. And there's people trying to recreate that. Um, maybe the original artist, maybe it was personal for them, but is it personal? Is the art created by people who strictly want to monetize it and they don't truly care about their art? Is it still personal at that point? Right. And and that's, that's important. Um, as we're talking about what genre is, it's, that's an important way uh, to kind of, segue into another uh, aspect of genre, which is how has modern markets uh, affected Mm. what genre means to us? Um, And I think, for instance, you're talking about visual art. Um, Yes. That, that, yes, that's deeply personal, Um, deeply personal for the artists um, and deeply personal for the people who experience it. Um, You know, I, I think if someone, experienced something felt a certain way by looking at that then 
it is art and it is valuable and it is important. Um, and then, but the monetization aspect kind of makes things difficult um, with regards. Well, you know, for instance, with regards to literary art, um, genre has kind of been co-opted by modern markets from its original form, which was simply distinguishing certain motifs and themes and tropes. Um, uh, now it's kind of become, uh, it's kind of been become co-opted by big publishing studios and stuff like that. Um, in order to figure out what sells best, um, and kind of, um, pigeonhole artists into creating what sells best because we run on that. Um, and that is a, that is a negative way that, that, uh, genre has affected, um, all artists, uh, especially literary artists and kind of forcing us to push our imaginations through certain shaped holes, um, that publishing studios and large publishing studios, um, and large, just marketing schemes and stuff like that have kind of forced us to think about our art and our creativity. And, you know, that that's something that I'm really starting to notice, um, here, especially in the past, like five to 10 years, um, I'm noticing a lot more like young adult genre related works coming out onto the market because that's the big thing. There's a lot of romance novels and short stories going out because that's the, the thing. That is what's popular and that is cinematic more, universes. <laughs> well, not not even that, but more importantly, at the bottom line of it, that is what matters to the big publishers is monetization. Your two biggest money makers is going to be romance and young adult. And there's going to be a few people that disagrees with that. Some people will say fantasy is, and I'm not going to, you know, sit here and say fantasy is not a money maker. It is mm -hmm. fantasy. <laughs> fantasy is always going to have a place on the market. But some of your more niche genres, like Lovecraft, for example, Lovecraft is a very niche genre when you look at the grand scheme of things. Mm -hmm. But going, going back, um, since we're talking about how things develop and evolve over time, because uh, I think we can talk about how the big publishing studios are monetizing everything and shaping the market. I think that we can say that for another episode, but going back to genre, we need to talk about the natural development of things because writers and readers use genre for two separate things, you know? Mm -hmm. So in your opinion, Wyatt, what does, when we talk about natural development, What's the difference between writers and readers in that sense? Um, so definitely the difference between writers and readers is um, how we interact with the art. Um, so so uh, kind of there's a difference to address some. This is something to address right here, um, which is what's the difference between a market and an audience? <laughs> 
Um, so, oh man, that's so, a whole yes. other topic, right? Well, it kind of it kind of is important to to think about uh, right here because mm-hmm. um, um, you're what you're talking about with what's going to make money and stuff like that. That's a market, and you know, a large market is young adults, and a large market is romance readers. Um, that's a very appealing fantasy for a lot of people. Um, so that's a market, but if you're thinking about an audience, then things start to get a little bit more vague. Um, and that is how readers, I think that is how readers, um, experience genre is vague and, but somehow, um, somehow pervasive. It, it, uh, kind of captures you. And so if we're talking, you know, we're talking about the natural development of genre and well, we can go all the way back to the way the Greeks used uh, literature. Um, You had, you had um, the difference between say a poet, an epic poet um, using the gods and heroes to address a certain theme like Homer. Uh, but then you also had the philosophers like, uh, philosophical writers like Herodotus who, um, uh, wanted to educate and use the written word and even narrative in some cases, um, to, uh, educate society on a social level. So you've got this difference between, um, individuals and, and heroism developing in literature from a very early point in history. Um, what does a hero look like? Uh, what what kind of um, values can an individual live by? What kind of uh, what is exciting to think about? Uh, and, and with regards to the world around us and gods and and the unseen, and then you have the philosophical where you're addressing society and you're addressing the the very tangible world. Um, You've got uh, even the distinction between um, romance literature and chivalric literature where romance emphasizes the individual experience. So you've got uh, Romeo and Juliet uh, emphasizing this, this individual experience of love and then you've got chivalric literature um, emphasizing the importance of social values revolving around love. And that that is how readers and writers share a certain vagueness in the experience of genre. Because, um, you know, what is a reader getting out of the experience of a book? Is it is it is it inherently um, escapist, but I don't feel like that's exactly the right word. Um, or is it philosophical? Are they drawing some sort of social knowledge about the world by reading this? Or are they feeling excited? Are they getting to know something about themselves? Are they learning something about individual people, um, through reading a work of, through reading a work? And that can be fiction or nonfiction. Mm -hmm. And since, since we're on this topic, one thing that comes to my mind is when we talk about genre, there's there's a lot of different types of genre out there. 
sometimes people think two different genres have the exact same meaning to them. You know, earlier you were talking about romance and um, chivalric genre. I know Southern lingo here, but <laughs> with with generalized romance, that's that's just it. It's just a general romance genre, and chivalric romance is a subgenre of that. You know, where it's you know it's the knight in shining armor rescuing the princess, going on this mighty adventure through the woods of Kazawa, you know, what have you. That's that's chivalric. We hear it a lot in like fairy tales. Disney has a lot of chivalric based romance. Like look at um Oh God. Snow White. <laughs> yes, Snow White. Look at Snow, Snow White. White. Um what's the one uh, and guys, ladies Please don't kill me for this. What's the Disney movie with Maleficent in it? Uh, Sleeping Beauty. Sleeping Beauty. Is it Sleeping Beauty? Yep. <laughs> huh. Well, anyways, that's another tale of... Yeah, because he fights, he fights the dragon form right. of Maleficent. Okay, yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, so that's another classic form of chivalric romance. And since we're mm -hmm. on this topic, another thing is I'm noticing a lot of people think existential, like, existential literature is the same thing as Lovecraftian genre. And mm -hmm. granted, Lovecraft has a lot of existential-based literature in his works, but they are different mm -hmm. with existential literature. You're talking about this person or the general protagonist who has to confront something that helps him or her determine their purpose in the world. And or not that, just go completely insane. <laughs> precisely because that is the chaos of existentialism. And that's something I'm noticing that's becoming a little bit more prevalent is people are starting to combine genres and I don't really understand. Well, but. I think, I think it, I think it is generally a good thing um, because, because it shows that people are no longer viewing themselves. People are starting to maybe question um, how to view themselves and in, in how they interact with art. Do they view themselves as a market um, or do they view themselves as an audience? Like we were talking about earlier. Um, like I said, readers, experience readers, um, anyone who views a piece of art experiences genre vaguely and pervasively. Um, so there is a lot of existentialism and, and Lovecraft's work and in Lovecraftian fiction. Um, and that is the point sort of, uh, is, is to see that, Genre is inherently um, descriptive rather than prescriptive. Um, you know what I mean by that? Go ahead and explain it to me, just in case I have amnesia or something. <laughs> uh, so what I mean by descript descriptive rather than prescriptive um, is that genre 
describes the kind of vague ways that you make that make you that a certain trope or motif makes you feel um and the ways that you want to interact with it um rather than uh something that you go into a piece of art uh to create uh, for for instance um and uh this is kind of more on the writer's side of things but uh it, it's important for writers to understand that genre describes their work rather than prescribes their work so so rather than um if you want to write a fantasy you can use a lot of fantasy motifs a lot of fantasy tropes you can use these conventions um but you are not dim- like by prescriptive i kind of mean like the genre demands that you do this. Like if you're writing a fantasy, Uh the genre demands that your main character be a chosen one. Um, You know, that, that, that's what prescriptive means. Um, But it's not if you write a fan, excuse me, if you write a fantasy work that doesn't have a chosen one as a protagonist, uh, but has elves and dragons and they're, doing interacting with each other in certain ways that's still a fantasy why is it still a fantasy we we don't know it's it feels like fantasy (laughs) um and and so that's what descriptive means it's kind of genre is applied to a work after it's written not before it's written you write and you you write a story um from from what you want to create and then uh, and then others will decide how that makes them feel and that's why genre is such a confusing thing when it's taken out of the context of a dictionary it's not quite so simple as just a thing that shares these certain aspects no because a thing a a book can do a lot of things that doesn't really doesn't really sound like fantasy but when you read it you're like this is fantasy. This is a fantasy book. Well, let me ask you the big question here, Wyatt. We've talked a lot about genre today, and I just got to know, is it more useful for writers, or is it more useful for readers? Uh, it's, it's useful for both in different ways. Um, so for writers you can like you have that kind of backlog of conventions that you can draw from and innovate on um but it also for writers i mean in the modern world it it helps with marketing if you're if you're you know we have to eat uh as writers and so you, maybe that's an trying to pl- <laughs> well um maybe playing into genre conventions for the sake of attracting a bigger market or a, or a, a bigger audience um, can be a good idea for a writer to do. And that's important. Um, not necessarily the most important aspect of genre from my point of view, but it is important. But for readers, it is um, incredibly useful. And this is something that I want that I, I really want to like maybe get into in a different episode, but um, for readers, Beyond the marketing, um, genre is important for creating community, 
Um, it's important for developing subcultures around these subgenres, like you're talking about, where uh, the distinguishment allows you to express things and then figure out who else in the world wants to express that thing with you in a similar way. And that leads to validation where readers and members of a community who love steampunk, (laughs) like that's a huge community in the cosplay uh, among cosplaying and stuff like that. It's a huge subculture. And that, that is so important for readers um, to have that validation of a community and you wouldn't have that if you didn't have genre conventions. You wouldn't have that if you didn't have the distinguishment between works of art. Uh, I'm going to cut in here real quick, Wyatt. So one thing I've noticed that genre does for readers, you know, w- when we talk about validation, building a community up and everything like that, we talk a lot about how they feel more comfortable about what they're reading and i think that leads to normalizing of taboos you know Mm -hmm. we you know a few weeks ago you and i had this conversation about how certain taboos are starting to become normalized while other taboos are starting to arise so i think that's something that genre definitely has a play in when it comes to readers Mm mm-hmm for sure. And, and, uh, one, one good way that, uh, that happens is with regards to gen, uh, gender. Um, so like, for instance, uh, you used to have very little, uh, female characters and they were very, uh, um, there was a lot of stereotypes and tropes that were negative towards women, um, and men, honestly. Um, it, uh, but, when you see in the modern in modern day books and works um there's a broad broader range of male and female characters being created um they're not all fitting into this um stereotype that's of the kind of heterosexual ideal anymore and uh for instance there was i was watching a um a video I can't remember who it was by, but she was talking about um, how D and D is uh, is an incredibly uh, attractive community for LGBTQ people. Apps that were talking about this on Pride uh, Pride Week, um, uh, Pride Month, but Pride Month. Yes, apologies. Um, uh, but you have these this gender of fantasy this particular gender of fantasy of tabletop storytelling um that allows you to create an image that allows you to bend the rules around how you feel um and create things that wouldn't be created uh by anybody else um that is what genre allows you to do uh, a fan like fantasy is a is a is a wonderful genre for i would say fantasy and science fiction because i do draw a distinction between the two fantasy and science fiction are two of the best genres for exploring gender um and sexuality uh because either it's in the far future and you can like imagine how humankind has developed 
uh, it's uh, ideas around these things, or it's in a completely different universe where you can create the rules um, that society uh, uh, acknowledges how gender and sexuality uh, play out. So that's pretty interesting why. And I think that's a topic we should revisit in a future episode. Um, We are at the end of our talking time though Wyatt so man that was a good conversation (laughs) (laughs) you know I really love that we're just touching the top of the iceberg with genre Um, to our listeners and even people who don't even listen who's just walking by accidentally hearing this Thank you for listening to our first episode. Our next episode, we're going to be talking about our favorite genre. You know, it's going to be part of our series and we're going to be talking about our favorite genre to read, to watch. And lastly, since Wyatt and I are both writers, we're going to be talking about our favorite genres to write. And man, (laughs) That's going to be a really interesting series because I get to talk about my favorite genres. But anyways, why do you have anything else you want to say? Uh, no, just uh, tune in next time. Yep. Just tune in, follow us on Twitter. It's coalescence P that's our username. Just type in coalescence publishing and you'll be able to find us perfectly fine. We got a Facebook page and an Instagram if you want to follow us there too. We have some awesome stuff we post. Um, If you're an author, keep on writing. If you're not an author, keep on writing. If you're a reader, (laughs) keep on reading too. Until next time, everyone. Thank you.